Hey guys, welcome to the Dudes and Drinks podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking about notable NPCs within Jin Steyr. Um, something that we haven't really done lately is kind of delve into NPCs. The last one I really went into was um, with the Arm family. So, real looking forward to this one. Um, before we get started, uh, I am, we are, I am, we are, we are joined today by me, Tyler, and Brad. Um, sadly, uh, Larry is no longer with us for this week. Um, he will be he's on week. vacation. <laughs> um, I said he's no longer with us for this week. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, before we kick this off, uh, Tyler, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, water. <laughs> I, I, I went know. out to dinner and I had a, uh. Oh god, what the fuck is the name of the brewery? I had a uh uh Fog Monster. I can't remember the name of the brewery. Oh. Interesting. Um, it's like Did a you big go... it's it's a big uh it's a big can with a lot of fog on it. Nice. But... Did you go to the brewery? Brewery? Yeah. Well it oh, it wasn't nice. it wasn't the brewery that had the fog. It was like a it was more just like a pub. Oh gotcha. it was it was on top, so nice. Yeah. Nice. Um Oh, I guess I'm next in line. Um, I am drinking a whiskey sour. So I'm drinking, it is lemon juice. I almost said lemonade. Fuck me. Lemon juice, lime juice, grenadine, simple syrup, two ice cubes, and Highland Scotch whiskey, I think is it what it is, the whiskey I'm having. Um... Shake it in a shaker and then pour it into a glass with two ice cubes and uh, some club soda. It's pretty good. Um, it's actually Larry's recipe that I'm using. Um, big fan of it. Haven't really had one in a while. Brad, what are you drinking? I know you had some stuff you're excited about. Yeah. You know, I've been on a wine kick recently. Uh, I ended up getting... So so I, was out, I went out to eat... Um... Monday with my mother for her birthday. Uh, and I saw on the shelf behind our table, uh, there was a whole big display of wines. And the one that really stuck out to me, uh, it was called Seven Moons. Uh, it's, a, it's a red blend of a whole bunch of different California grapes. Honestly, I thought it looked really cool on the label. So I ordered a glass and it was really good. Uh, so I went out to the store and got a little bit more of that. Uh, so I've been enjoying that very recently. It's very good, very fruity. Good good taste, so. Nice. Highly recommend. Yeah, there's been... I'm not a huge wine guy. There's been a few wines that I did like. Um, there's the one that my parents brought up the one time when they came out to visit. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ebola Carbonet. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. It was really good. Yeah. Um, I actually really enjoyed that one. And there was another one that they had. It wasn't the last time they were up at the time before. And it was it was a local wine. It, was it fish head? Fish bones? Maybe it wasn't that because that sounds something that's not local. Um, damn. I have to ask him this weekend when I go down to visit. Um, it was a local wine to the Erie area. And uh, it was pretty good. Um, now I need to start just drinking more wine and getting a taste of them because right now I've just been on a whiskey kick. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, NPCs in Jin's Dire. Mm-hmm. So just to establish uh, what we already have, uh, one of the big NPCs in this particular region so far is an unnamed wizard um, who is related to Guinevere uh, over there in Orenburg. Uh, this wizard is a descendant of, or not a descent, the opposite of it, an ancestor of Guinevere, uh, specifically focused on researching diseases, specifically Zalacargon's disease. Uh, he's the one who kind of coined the term uh, metalamorphosis, uh, which is, you know, the, the disease that Zalacargon has. Which, for a reminder of people, if you may have skipped this episode, Zalacargon is the golden dragon that lives underneath of the mountain north of the city of Arnberg, which is shedding its scales, which supplies the city with its endless gold. Mm-hmm. So, Sorry, I just wanted to add that real quick. No, that's a, that's a good, good tidbit. I highly recommend you go check out those episodes, too, because they were really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what's notable about this guy is that he was the first warlock of Zalacargon, so he gained Zalacargon's trust and was granted warlock powers uh, in an attempt to aid Zalacargon with his ailment. Uh, he has passed down some sort of family heirloom uh, through the generations, which was eventually given to Guinevere, and then eventually Elowin ended up finding this somehow, you know, whether... Guinevere offered that information, or she stole it from her. You know, we haven't really ironed out that detail, but uh, this this heirloom of arcane encrypted ciphers um, that detailed some of the the whereabouts and information about Zelikargon. So that's how that info got out to the nobility of Arnberg, or at least Guinevere and Elwyn. Last bit of tidbit we have established for this guy is his last name is Valentha. Because that is Guinevere's maiden name. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, it doesn't need to be Valentha because, like, it could be. Yeah, if there was, if he had a daughter and then that daughter got married, yeah. then it could be a different name. But, but no, I, I feel like keeping the name as Valentha is kind of a nice way to keep it. Mm-hmm. A nice segue, a nice uh, connector between the two. Um. So. Now, this NPC, he would be dead at this point, wouldn't he? For sure, yep. He's okay. at least two, if not more, generations out from Guinevere. So, I feel like we should talk less about his character and more about the influence that he had because um, he's dead. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Unless you think we should iron out a bit about his character and who he was and what he was like, which we can talk about a little bit. But I feel like we should more focus on um, who he was and the impact that he had and his actions had on the college in Jinstire and kind of the shaping of it. Because he's sure. one of the one of the, one of the re- original, not original, but probably one of the older researchers that were there, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, we, we could just do some very high-level info about him um, and then talk about some of his effects. I think might be better. So, Okay. Let's start off by giving him a name. It might be easier to talk about him that way. 
So, uh, so he's an elf. Valenta is yeah, elf. So elven name. Um Valenta. Now, where would he have originated from? Is he from Jinstar? Uh so or possibly from another region. So whenever he was doing his research, uh, Jinstar was just kind of getting started up. Um, it wasn't like brand new, but it was still kind of new. Um, so it's possible he could have been from there, but I feel like it's more likely he was from somewhere else. Okay. Um, how about Aloris? Oloris, like O L U R O U S, Aloris. Oloros, 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 kind of, got yes, it. not too close to Oloron, because that's a, yep. a god, Oloros we'll go with, okay, Oloros. Cool. cool, yeah, just establish a name so we can talk about him a little bit better, because I saw that's some of, uh, one of the issues that we faced in previous episodes, where we kind of talk about people and, like, titles without really giving them a name, and it gets a little bit confusing, so... Yeah, and then we get the name once we're pretty much done talking about him, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. So, Olorus. Um, yeah, so he was an elven like... man. Um, at his peak, um, he was focused on uh, disease research, uh, specifically in dragons, dragonborn, and other dragon-related creatures. Okay, so what school of um, magic would that be focused in, then, for disease research? Would that be kind of like... Um, it's probably some sort of branch of necromancy, right? Like, uh, like the ray of sickness spell. I think that's like a necromancy spell. Yeah. Well, also aren't, um, healing spells technically necromancy spells? Some of them. Some of them are evocation. Some of them are evocation. Okay. Um, let me actually just bring up all the schools of magic because I haven't referenced them in a long time. So, So, just looking at some of the necromancy spells, um... What, what is it called? Ray of Sickness, I feel like, is one of the biggest ones. Uh, that that's just screams disease to me, you know? Uh, what, are, what are the ones we got? You know, so all, all thinking, the resurrection shit. So... <clears throat> Life transference. I, I feel like this would be a common... Contagion. Well... Blight. Excuse me. <clears throat> so I feel like this would be a... Not a combination of different schools that he'd be focused in mm-hmm. just because for disease alone i think that would probably be a combination of necromancy like you said and then probably some dips into um abjuration for the protection kind of mm. part of healing but if he was focusing on the transmitted properties of the um met- metamorphosis uh, disease that Zelikargon had, I think he would also be kind of researching in a transmutation as well. So I don't think that we should pigeonhole him to a specific school of magic. Um, probably just leave him as a quote unquote base in in terms of five E classes. Um, most of his levels are done in wizard. A small dip into the uh, Pact of the Dragon Warlock subclass. Yep, uh, I would agree with that. So as far as like his school of magic, yeah, it's kind of up in the air between like necromancy and transmutation for me, uh, okay. specifically yeah. for his metamorphosis stuff. 
necromancy for the other like disease stuff but then yeah. transmutation for the specific yeah okay no yeah, i like m- that maybe it could be one of those transfer cases like undergrad necromancy um graduate transmutation type stuff transmutation you know? with a uh, minor in warlock <laughs> <laughs> um god it's only been like a year and college still haunts us <laughs> anyway it's been two years for me Still yeah, in two years for you. <laughs> uh, I still have nightmares. Alrighty. Anyway. Uh, so, Oleros Valentha. Um, because we want to keep um, Zalakargon, his details and location specifically, hidden uh, from like the general public and their knowledge, um, that means that Oleros needs to conduct his research in a, I guess, like strategic type way um, that isn't super obvious as to what he's doing. Um, I would say, um, with his expertise, I would be comfortable saying that he is probably even one of the lead researchers at the college, so he would have his own kind of division or tower to himself to conduct his research. Yeah, yeah. With the Uh, amount of power I imagine this guy having, I feel like he, especially... If he partnered with a dragon to learn additional things, he would be pretty powerful, which I think would constitute him to be able to have, like I said, his own study and his own private area to research, whereas it's not some of the other researchers at the college that have to do it a bit more in the public eye. I agree, yeah. So perhaps he's just kind of like a like an independent researcher that might be slightly related to the college, just for the okay. sake of uh, his secrecy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> do you think his research location should be in the college, or nope. should it be um, in kind of like a offshoot uh, location in the mountains that he researches in that's close to Jinstire because he needs to be near Sibylith? Yep, I really like the um, like off in the wilderness type thing near Jinstire, just kind of in the mountains. Uh, yeah, just for the like, sake the way of I'm- secrecy. Yeah, the way I envision it is still kind of within that bowl of the mountain. Um, I was thinking kind of, just kind of, on the outside of the bowl, like maybe just on, on the, the outside. Edge. Yeah. Okay. Well, because that, that'd be where his like primary location, where the college does know where it's at. But I also feel like he would have a teleportation circle to Zelokargon's lair, where he does additional research at. I can get behind that. Yeah. Um. So that also brings in an interesting thing about the world itself um teleport and this this can also be a dm's discretion thing but teleportation circles usually are one way would he possibly have a teleportation circle that just goes both ways like he steps on it it teleports him there and if he steps on it again there it teleports him back Mm -hmm. i don't want teleportation magic to be super commonplace um Mm because i feel like that leads to a lot of like fucked up implications in the world uh, so let's say that like teleportation magic is generally very limited, um, and it's typically only like high level users who can effectively utilize it. Um, gotcha. This uh, means it, that it, he it, can it, absolutely it not... good. Yeah, I was just gonna say if they're not like a high level, then you implement the um, the same uh, implications that the teleport spell has, where you have the random chance of it just going haywire. Uh, yeah, I'd rather just say most people either don't have access or cannot use these teleportation circles, um, with the exception of you know high-level wizards and shit. Okay. Because I guess my point is, I don't want the party teleporting around everywhere, 
because I want them to like go out on an adventure, you know? Well, and that can just be limited by, yes, this character, yes, you get the teleportation spell, the teleportation circle spell at this level, but there's not many teleportation circles throughout the world that you can use. That's a good compromise. I support that. That, 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 That's how we limit it. Because I don't want to be changing the mechanics of spells because that's getting into a very scary (laughs) area. So I think just limiting the amount of circles within the world is the way we uh, kind of compromise that. Yep, I support that. There's the, probably not a lot of teleportation circles. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. No, I like that. Um. Anyway, uh, continuing on. Uh, so, so okay. Oh, yes. uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, what his tower is, in a sense. Yeah, you mentioned tower. And I like the idea of like wizard towers. I think those are pretty cool. Um, but I don't want to say that they strictly have to be towers. I would rather them be more like, uh, like research labs that are the way, the, generally the towers. Said, but I feel the like reason, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So like like a, a wizard has more like a research lab that may be a tower, but not required. It's probably more suited to the research that they're doing. Um, however, I would say that I think it would be cool if they all the wizards called them towers anyway, even if they weren't necessarily tall buildings. You know. Okay. So instead of calling uh, them research labs, they call them towers, but they're actually just research labs, you know? I like that. So the thing I'm thinking of, I, I was just calling it tower just because I was thinking if he was at the college, then um, the way I was envisioning it was like like the 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 upper echelon in the college get their own towers at, at the actual college and like physical towers. But sure. um, I like the idea of calling them towers regardless of what they are. So if he's in the mountains, um, I can actually envision him kind of like retrofitting a kind of like one of the mountain peaks into a kind of tower, quote unquote. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, That he uses to research it and whatnot. So before figuring out what it looks like, maybe we should talk about what he's actually doing there. So we can make the building accommodate up there. Yeah, yeah. we, we, We want what he's doing to affect what the building looks like uh, so the yeah. building can accommodate his research, you know? Yeah. So his primary research being disease. Oh, what is the... Hold on. I'm going to be typing something real quick. Uh, actually, black dragon lairs. Aren't those kind of riddled with like disease and kind of death? Um, I guess so, um, because they're like swamp based, right? I think yeah, because because I was reading up on um, black dragons and like the, whenever a black dragon is present there, um, or any dragon is present in their lair, the surrounding area for like a few miles is like physically changed by their presence. Mm-hmm. Like for I think the white dragons, like like sudden updrafts happen and stuff like that. Not white yeah. dragons. Maybe it was the silver dragon. I think it's the silver dragons. Or maybe it's copper. I don't know. It's one of the lightning ones actually. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um should probably actually look at look that up. But so I, um, I don't think the existence of his lair should have a massive effect on the world around it because he okay. doesn't want it to. Because he wants to keep these diseases contained. He doesn't want them to go all over the place, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. No, so, I, I was just trying to think of a uh, an area that would have prevalent diseases that would facilitate his research. But 
again, the whole thing with a dragon's lair is the dragon has to be there in order for the those things to be present. So even if he set up a, his um, research lab in an old uh, black dragon's lair, the old quote-unquote lair actions or lair changes wouldn't actually be there anymore. So that actually... That was a uh, dead end I uh, well, drove that, down. That's a good thought, actually. I actually kind of like that. Because um, if you treat these towers as the wizard's lair, you know, that kind of puts like an interesting thought in my head. Uh, perhaps we okay. can expand on that later, actually. Maybe when we start to get to some of the more specifics. Okay. But, um, um... But yeah, so I feel like his tower, uh, isolation is a big consideration because he doesn't want any potential diseases to escape. Um, he can use that justification uh, as an excuse to keep him and his research away from other people because he doesn't want anybody else to figure out about Zalakargon, right? So he doesn't want anybody would... to talk to Zalakargon. So he says, oh, yep, it's all diseases. Stay away from me. Uh-huh. It's diseased, you know? Yeah. So I would almost, I'm going to retcon what I said a little bit. I would almost want him to be closer to, like, the base or even underground almost then. Mm -hmm. Because if he's at a peak of a mountain and he's researching diseases, if a disease gets out... Airborne. That's a lot of airflow that can carry that disease. (laughs) So what if he's actually in, like, a a cavern or, like, a crevice or something uh, in the mountains where there's not a whole lot of wind flow. It's kind of isolated away by the stone... More like even in a valley type of situation. I agree. That's off the beaten path that normal people wouldn't really interact with. I agree. Uh, so his tower, what, are you thinking that it's like a standalone building? Or do you think it's maybe like carved into the stone? Because Jin Steyer has a lot of good stonework type people with like the dwarf culture and everything. Uh, when it was know. at the mountain peak, I was envisioning it kind of like carved into the mountain peak itself. But now that we're talking more about down in the valley... I'm kind of envisioning, excuse me, um, this uh, half and half almost. Like, mm-hmm. um, what's that city in Skyrim? Mark the one Hearth? on the far west, yeah, Markarth. Is that Markarth? Uh-huh. So, yeah, kind of like how it's kind of built into the side of the mountain, but at the same time, it does have stone buildings kind of protruding out. And not really buildings because it's just him. But um, Well, is it is it just him? We said he might have a couple assistants. Um, uh, then yeah, I think like a little commune that they, uh, uh, all live in and kind of research from would be, uh, pretty cool. Sure. Maybe there's like two or three distinct buildings, um, all next to each other. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about him and his relation to the assistants. Uh, obviously the assistants can't know about Zalakargon. We don't want him to do that. Um, and that can be easily justified by saying that, um, Oleros has all of his notes are pretty ciphered and like uh, encrypted uh, so that a random passerby can't just obviously see it. They would have to do some serious research to figure it out. I feel like that's how most wizard spell books and anything they own is because Mm -hmm. typically wizards are pretty protective of their spells. So I feel like almost all wizards have a cipher, not cipher, but all their things, yeah. even their spells, are encoded in some way. So that makes sense. Um, as far as justifying his time away from his assistants, like going to visit Zalakargon, um, we can... Hmm. 
he could just say that he was off uh gathering specimens trying to find new diseases to um you know mm-hmm. study and like we said if like the 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 teleportation circles and stuff like that is a very high level thing the assistants probably wouldn't even know how to work the one that he steps on to so yep i agree so yeah it's pretty easy for him to justify alone time uh, to do some of this stuff and because he's high enough position um or like high enough standing uh with the mage college you know he's totally fine cool uh, so let's talk about some of his interactions with Zelikargon. Um, how did he first find Zelikargon? Um, I'm thinking. Um, so dragons, especially the ancient ones, they usually have the ability to, um, polymorph themselves, correct, into mm-hmm. humans and disguise themselves, correct. Mm-hmm. So what I'm even thinking is Zelikargon, when he still had the ability to before his like disease really was detrimental to him, was in human form or disguised form, whatever race he chose to be, and um, was out trying to find people who have research or have information or are researching uh, diseases. And that's how he ran into... Uh, Oleros. Okay, so Zalakargon approached Oleros instead. I like that. Yeah. Like he heard of the work that he was doing at Jin Steyr or something like that, approached him and was like, hey, I have a specimen you might be interested in. Can we talk about it in private? They go to talk about it in private. Yada, yada, yada. Awesome. They get to where they are now. I love that. Cool. Okay. So what, what, you know, we already justified that they could, you know, go ahead and do, you know, various bits of private research. Uh, I don't think we have to go into like too much detail about what that research looked like. Uh, but I'm curious about where it led. Uh, what, what are the results of this research? Uh, we already kind of identified, you know, metallomorphosis, you know, kind of being its thing. Um, you, they, they, he kind of discovered that disease. Um, I guess my question might be, how, how, how well-known is that? I would say probably not very well-known at all. It's probably well, mostly metallomorphosis. metamorphosis. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's just... I mean, it's, it's definitely known between the, dra- the metallic dragons. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as far as um, the, the normal folk, I guess the non-dragons <laughs> um the only ones of them who would really know are people who are close or have close ties to the dragons because that's a secret that the dragons really wouldn't want people knowing about because mm-hmm. that's a really detrimental thing to be happening to them yeah so i would say for the most part um as far as zelikargon is concerned um, the only people who really know too much about it are uh, Oleros, Guinevere, and by extension, Elowen. Yes. Just because that's that's the only people that we have so far that he would really trust to tell, you know? Yeah. Um, as far as him, yes. Maybe but he would tell some other... other metallic dragons, but I'm not worried about that yet. 
Well, I well there there may be even other metallic dragons that have this happening to them, which is mm-hmm. what I mean. Like, um, they would have their own circles of people who would know, but we'll cross that bridge when we make a new dragon. I agree. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. So as far as Zalakargon goes, I do think Elowen, Guinevere, and Oloris are really the only people who would know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we also said that Oloros is the first warlock of Zalakargon. So I would yes. say maybe at the point that Oloros is doing this research with Zalakargon, he's probably not an ancient dragon yet. He might just still be an adult dragon. Just okay. for the sake of giving Zalakargon some time to go. Um, yeah. I mean, dragons are. Pro- Do dragons die of old age? That's his own. Okay. I don't want there to be a lot of dragons. Um, I feel like there should be very, very few. Uh, perhaps if we wanted to make it a plot hook, uh, maybe there's only one ancient dragon of each kind at any given time. Um, not due to any like enforced measure, uh, but just due to coincidence, you know? Well, Gen- here, here's the way I was thinking of it. Like, I, I'd say Zalakargon could have been an ancient dragon when he met Olorus mm-hmm. and still be an ancient dragon. And it's just that ancient dragons live for a much longer period of time. It's mm-hmm. just that dragons tend not to procreate all that often because of their individual natures, which is why there's very few and far between. Sure. Few and far between? Yes. Yeah. And just for the sake of world building, I would like to say any dragon that can make its way to like adult stage or ancient stage uh, should definitely be some sort of like named no notable figure kind of like Zalakargon, you know every dragon born after nine <laughs> like wormlings and shit might be okay but there's probably there's probably not even a whole lot of wormlings either you know so, at least in this part of the world yeah any, any anything that i as... care about for the world building here yeah 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 and, and until we and when we start expanding and creating new continents then we can again cross that bridge when we come to it but as far as this little corner of the world that we're making. Yeah. I think that's that's perfectly fair. Um cool. So uh what's next? So how did uh how did Olorus become a warlock of Zalakargon? Um obviously we kind of said that, you know, they ended up building trust with each other due to their research and time spent together. Uh but what prompted Zalakargon to attempt to grant him warlock powers? Um, I say this because this is not something Zalakargon has done before, um, and he's not using it for, like, you know, world domination or anything. So there's probably some other reason why he, why he needed to grant this exceptional power. I think we should back up a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about how Zalakargon knew how to bestow or share his powers with someone else. Mm-hmm. Is that something innate that the dragons just know how to do? Or is that something that some dragons have learned how to do and have passed that knowledge on to other dragons? <laughs> yeah, we could take this a lot of different ways. Do you have any preference? Um, I almost feel like it'd be better to have it so that it was knowledge passed down from other dragons. 
but if you feel like this would be better for a its own episode, I'm perfectly willing to talk about it there. If we want to go into a bit more about dragons in general in the area, mm-hmm. um, and kind of leave it open the air for right now, we can shift back focus to Alorus. Well, I'm going to connect some dots real quick. Uh, we said earlier that other dragons do exist of other varieties. Additionally, the other dragons know a little bit about metallomorphosis, uh, or at least Zalacargon told them about metallomorphosis. And at least the metallic ones. We don't know if he would have shared that information with the um, chromatic ones. Sure. All I care about right now is, is there at least one other dragon that Zalacargon is in contact with? Because I feel like it might be interesting if it was essentially a trade, right? Zalacargon uh, told another metallic dragon um, about his findings with metallomorphosis. And that other dragon, in return, told him a little bit about bestowing powers to mortals. Or, not mortals, sorry, that's not the right word, uh, humanoids. Hmm. <clears throat> I do like that idea, the kind of trade between the two. Because in a way, that's almost its own type of pact, because you're, you're, trading, one, you're trading knowledge for knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. But... Um, no, yeah, I do like that. Uh, as far as which dragon it was, and we're saying there's only one uh, type of ancient purr mm-hmm. alive at a time, and we're kind of narrowing it down again to the chromatic ones because they're the ones that are going to be most impacted by the uh, by the disease. Mm-hmm. So chromatics, we have copper, bronze, silver, gold, and brass. One of the notable regions near us that we haven't really explored a whole lot just yet um, is the water area. Um, but oh, are there any dragons that are based near the water? Specifically, metallic dragons. Now, are there dragon tur- dragon turtles? <laughs> dragon turtle, maybe. But that's not really the same. No, um, no. Perhaps. Okay, so. In my mind, at least, I really associate brass dragons with water. Um, however, that goes oh. against kind of like the D&D lore, but I don't give a shit, you know? I really like brass dragons association with water. I don't know what you guys think about that. Um, I mean, we could also do some other dragon type stuff like a silver dragons or something, you know? I don't know. I, it, silver dragons are the ice ones, correct? I don't know. I think they are. Or the lightning. No, no, that's... Uh, copper. I think copper's lightning. What? Uh, breath type. Copper's lightning. Brass is fire. Or bronze is fire. So, like... Uh, oh, I'm just oh, going to look it up. Uh, silver dragons typically live in mountains. Like, Brad, I don't mind uh, brass with water either. I don't like copper with water. because no, of brass whole, is different. Because of the whole oxidizing thing. But, like, mm-hmm. brass brass is interesting. Brass oxidizes mm-hmm. because of its copper, like, tinnish zinc components in it. But it does not corrode the way copper does. Like, like alone. Because like, copper okay. alone corrodes, but brass doesn't. So hear me out on this one. If... We're going to have a brass dragon in the water 
who Zalacargon is talking about metalomorphosis with. Perhaps metalomorphosis in this brass dragon could almost um, present itself as like an oxidation type thing, where it oxidizes his brass scales, or his scales metalomorphosize into brass, like actual brass alloy, and then that brass oxidizes as it falls off of him. I think that's a really, really clever tie-in. Wait, so you want brass, not bronze, by the code? So, wait, wait, does brass oxidize? Bra- so here, so brass oxidizes but does not corrode. Copper oxidizes and corrodes. Whereas bronze does neither, and they live in coastal coastal areas. Yeah, but bronze is the typical water dragon. Wait, wait, no, no, no. I want, I want brass. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so the I want it to oxidize, but I don't want it to hurt him. You know? Does that make sense? So, yeah, which is what brass does. Yeah. yeah, so bra- bra- brass oxidizes green because of its components, but doesn't corrode like copper does. Well, brass dragons love intense heat, the intense heat of deserts, so it could be, I mean, coastal regions can get pretty hot. We so, can make our own shit I up. Mean, I mean, I mean yeah, we can make our own shit up. Yeah. Um, so, Brad. But yeah, brass dragons if, are the typical aquatic ones. So, what, what if this brass dragon is oxidizing... And getting hurt by it, like is 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 being like corroded. So then Zelikargon is trying to figure out why and save the dragon, which is why he bestowed power into the warlock. Well, they're both suffer. Okay, so either yeah, only Zelikargon so- or both of them are suffering from metalomorphosis. Yes, uh, where their like fake metal scales turn into real metal. Yeah. Yes. Which if the if, if the bronze or sorry, <clears throat> if the brass is oxidizing, then that would mean that he is going through metamorphosis. Okay. Okay. So so, so just to clarify, uh, the brass dragon typically lives in the water or near the water. Without metamorphosis, no. he does not corrode because he's yes. a cool dragon and he's not actual brass. Yes. However, whenever he gets metamorphosis. His fake brass scales turn into real brass, which then oxidizes, which then sheds and does the same thing. Yes, and then Love he it. contacts like, and then like the the passage of knowledge of like the metal metamorphosis and the warlock powers happen because the brass dragon wants to figure out what's going on. Zalakargon gives the information of metamorphosis in exchange for the warlock knowledge. Yep, I love it. So, okay, do we want to go with brass here because? Uh, because clearly dragons don't actually have metal scales, so the metamorphosis would turn their scales into metal. So, but brass doesn't corrode. I don't know how far, I don't know how deep you want to go with this, Brad. No, no, brass, sorry, oxidize, oxidize. Yeah, oh yeah, like brass oxidizes but doesn't corrode. Copper oxidizes and then corrodes. So I'm I'm fine with the, brass just oxidizing and just the oxidizing part being damaging to the dragon in some way. Okay. Yep. Oh. Well, I don't actually think the oxidation actually causes any damage um, any more than just the scales oxidize and then fall off due to unrelated issues, you know? Yeah. So I don't think it's actually any more dangerous than something that Zalakargon's going through. It just adds an additional visual effect to it. It just, yeah. Yeah. It just makes the dragon... It's just a flavor effect. Yeah. It just... Yeah. Got it. Okay. It's more noticeable that it's a different... Like, the scales are actually changing. Whereas the gold, it just... Yeah. It stays gold yeah, and so, then it falls yeah. off. Yeah, so, so so you don't want the scales corroding; you just want them showing that something is wrong. Yep, got it. Cool. No, oh, I like that. I really like that. 
All right. Um, we can flush out that dragon a bit more in depth when we talk about the dragons in the region at large. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really good starting point for shifting back to Zalakargon, which we're then going to shift back to our main focus, Olorus. Mm -hmm. So why did Zalakargon give Olorus the warlock knowledge that he has? Um, so or the, 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 the power. So perhaps Zalakargon and this brass dragon are kind of on good terms with each other, um, or at least on more good terms with each other than other dragons. Um, this means that maybe Zalakargon has some vested interest in the well-being of this other dragon, and the other dragon has a vested well-being in uh, Zalakargon as well, uh, which means that having this amicable, amicable knowledge share uh, would be beneficial for both of them. Yeah. But why? Why are they friends with each other? My first thought is, if a land force were to be invading the ocean, uh, they would have to pass through Zalakargon's domain first. Which means Zalakargon is kind of like a watchman for the ocean, and the same thing kind of goes the other way as well. The ocean uh, is kind of a watchman for this particular peninsula. So perhaps in like a grand scale type thing, these two dragons would have like mm -hmm. defensive scale. relations with each other. Uh, yeah. Scale. Like a, it's like a symbiotic <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Well, really, like they, they never really go into each other's domains because it's not their, it's not their, you know. Because like, yeah, Zelda yeah, Cargon should... doesn't want the ocean. The ocean dragon doesn't want to come exactly. to land. So they'll exactly. just kind of work with each other instead. Yeah. Cool. Uh, how did the Brass Dragon learn his Warlock powers? Doesn't matter at this point. No. Like I said, we can go more in-depth about the Brass Dragon when we talk about the dragons at large in the area, or we decide to have an episode dedicated to the Brass Dragon, which I think will happen when we talk about so, the more coastal region. So are both of these dragons the patron, then? Like, are they are they combined to the patron? Like, did, no. did, did, they, did they come together? Nope. No, no. Okay. So basically, the Brass Dragon had knowledge of how to imbue and gave it to Zelakargon. Yes, and Got then it. pass that knowledge on Zelakargon in return for any information new or old that he has on Metamorphosis. Yeah. Cool. And then um, Zelakargon gives it the other way as well. Uh, perhaps they were both experimenting with Elamorphosis. Um, why that is, we can talk about some other time. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a we, we, or something. we, I don't know. We can just say uh, the reason why he gave um, Olorus the warlock powers was in, in exchange for the help that he's done giving him information about Metamorphosis, the same kind of trade he made with the Brass Dragon. So I'm not actually sure that that's something he'd want to do as like a reward, you know? Um, we talked a little bit earlier about how Zalakargon might be a little bit more like emotionally attached to some of these people. So we kind of established that for Elowen, uh, Zala Kargon ended up giving her powers um, because she kind of like charmed him into doing it uh, through being like a, like a... So Zala Kargon wants to do good in the world. Uh, Elowen charmed Zala Kargon, not like magically, into thinking that, hey, I strive to do good in the world. You can do good in the world by channeling it through me. So Zalakargon was like, oh yeah, sounds good. Here's some warlock powers. So that's how she got them. So perhaps Zalakargon wants to do good in the world. 
Um, so if he wants to do good in the world, how does that reflect into this metamorphosis? Um, I think the obvious answer is he wants to give the warlock dude more power, more knowledge, the knowledge and intelligence of a dragon um, in order to advance his research. So this, this kind of leads to like under the assumption of like support warlock type thing, uh, where instead of just like fucking shit up and doing damage, uh, he focuses more on like, like the knowledge aspect and like the magically enhanced mind type thing, you know? Sounds good to me. Yeah. Because I really like the the focus on the exchange of knowledge that we're kind of the theme that's kind of appearing between here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it kind of just coincides with the whole Jin Steyer wizards researching shit getting knowledge thing. So I Absolutely. think it really coincides with each other. Yeah, I agree. Even though I think technically warlocks don't get knowledge, they just get the power and knowledge of how to use the power, but... Well, they can use their power to gain knowledge. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Like, Pact of the Tome and shit? You know, that gives you, like, enhanced knowledge, kind of. Uh, it's like artificial yeah. knowledge, but it's knowledge, you know? I, I, I was just making fun of the conversation yeah, yeah. we had a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, no, I really like how this is kind of shaping out. Um, what else do we want to cover for Alluris? So let me check my notes real quick. Uh, I want to talk about his passed down heirloom a little bit. Uh, so okay. I feel like so an heirloom is just kind of like some like emotional based treasure uh, that's generally passed down within like a family. Um, a common example in the real world is you know maybe like a locket, an amulet. Uh, maybe some, like, fine dishware, piece of art, portrait, something like that, you know? Uh, and I feel like the same would probably apply in this world. Um, however, we have magic at our disposal, so we can make things a little bit different. I think... I'm, I'm just going to present an idea. I don't know how to bridge into it, but I'm just going to present it because I thought it was cool. What if okay. their families, uh, the Veloth... Or what, what, what's his name? Um, Valentha. What if the Valentha family heirloom was a common household object that had magical runes inscribed into it. I feel like the obvious example here might be a plate or like some like fine like uh, eatingware, uh, where it's maybe a plate that has like this like elegant decoration on it. But if you look very hard into those decorations, you might be able to make out some arcane runes, which can then be deciphered into you know his notes about Zalakargon. What if it's a rug? A rug, yeah. A rug that's like, it, like it, it's it notice notably like notably just stays not impeccably clean, but devoid of wear and tear. Mm, I love it. So then, like, you want to protect it, so it's like, it, like no one's ever tested it, but it's like it's like fire and acid resistant. You know, like it's not just gonna go up in a puff of smoke, and so it's like kind of resistance to the wear and tear, but it does get dirty. Like, it can get, like, stuff spilled on it, but, like, with a nice washing, it'll get back to normal. Yeah. That is really cool, um, because that kind of plays into the theme of, like, you know, health, well-being, free from disease, um, that that we're researching here, that Oleros is researching. I really love that. Um, perhaps the family could call it, like, the... Like the, the, the family rug of good health, you know? Uh, that's the magic carpet. Magic carpet. <laughs> so, 
that's that's not something that's totally unrealistic you know um like people always do like they're like in the real world people do like they're like cheers to good health and stuff like that you know that's not an uncommon thing to wish for so i feel like if a dm were to do an adventure in orenburg and they you know go to meet the orm family in their homestead and they see this fancy rug that the dm goes to describe perhaps it might sound like unique to describe like this family heirloom rug of good health and they, the the players might see like oh okay well you know good health everybody wants that you know awesome but they might and not they, like have it at the threshold so anybody who walks into the house is like bestowing good health onto you yeah and it, and, it, and that's not even a real thing that's happening that's just like that spiritual like goodwill blessing thing that we do you know cheers to good yeah. health you know or what's it called a uh, superstition it's a fucking yeah welcome Matt. Yeah, or, <laughs> welcome. at least that's well, that's how it's portrayed. But yeah. in reality, it has you know these like deep arcane runes, you know. So I feel like it could be one of those like oh shit moments. It's like the answer was right in front of us. We just never bothered to look, you know. Yeah, love it. Okay. And like a good way for a DM to kind of like do that a little bit secretive is like when the players first enter the house, if they ever enter the house, just have. The person with the highest arcane, like, the highest intelligence, just do an arcana check. And then, uh, if they roll high enough, pull the player aside and be like, you notice something's weird about the rug. But you could say that it's, like, magical, or it, it never seems to get dirtied or worn or hurt or anything like that. I wouldn't want to just hand them the information no. that there's, like, oh, secret no, 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 there. no, yeah. no. Like, like it, it's more of, like, the... The, 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 the rug seems to have a shimmer about it, and that's about it. Sure. That's all you give them. You can imply it's magical, but you can't figure out anything more without, like, intense research. Yeah, like, exactly. I would yeah. do absolutely nothing to give away that that rug was magical unless if somebody cast to detect magic. Or, or I, I, I give them a little—it looks a little bit cleaner like, than here, usual. Like, you know? I would—like, yeah. I, I, I would mention that if they go back to the house, like, over time, you know? Like, every time they go back to the house, it's, like— it's, it's still like, perfectly yeah, clean. Yeah, like I would give them those hints, unless if somebody like you know, because like, like um, unless a, yeah, unless someone explicitly asks, can I do an insight, like an investigation check yeah. or an arcana check on the rug? You, then you don't because yeah. like whenever you walk you into a house, you're not going to be staring at every little detail all around. So like like there's no point for you to roll an investigation or a perception check or anything. Like if I were to make well, a I mean, perfect, that's, that's just what like a player would like specifically asked to do it yeah exactly if i were to make a perfect campaign playing it out of my head the best way that could be handled is if it became like a running joke where it's like the first yeah. time you enter you like describe this rug in cool detail and the players think it's funny because like haha rug not important yeah. and then every time afterward you continue to describe the rug <laughs> and they get like to the point where they're just like well how's the rug doing well tell me about the rug tell me about the rug you know that'd be really funny if they like they thought it yeah. was interesting because it was mundane, but right. it was actually interesting because it was magical, you yeah. know? It's, it's like, and it's like eight Larry sessions would want to steal it. And Larry would steal yeah, it, like yeah. Eight sessions, and then you just, you just, you just, you just like, like, you walk into the house, and um, they lead you to the back. It's like, well, wh- what, what about the rug? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so, like, it's like you just spend seven sessions describing it. You you condition them. You condition them yeah, to you, expect you, you it. You fucking and then Pavlov. You just, like, just stop. You, 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 and you like, just Pavlov the party with a rug. Yeah. So depending <laughs> on what stage the campaign's in, um, I would say Elowin almost always 
would be incredibly defensive about this rug. She would make sure that nothing bad happens to it if something were to happen. If somebody tries to steal it, Elowen would make sure they did not steal it. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, there's probably an alarm spell cast around. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Elowen and Guinevere would both take special effort to make sure that it's not stolen or hurt or whatever. Guinevere would be a little bit more obvious about it and be like, yo, that's my family heirloom. Don't touch that. Uh, Elowen might be a little bit more secretive about it because she doesn't want to let other people know, especially Guinevere know, that this rug is special. You know, she's like, she like, Guinevere would be incredibly adamant about it. Elowen would be like, hey, that's our family heirloom. Don't hurt it because it's an heirloom. Guinevere would be like, don't hurt it because it's a magic artifact, you know? But I, I feel like both of them would try to, like, defend this shit, you know? No, I like that. I really like that. Um, But they wouldn't ever bring this up unless the players do it first. Yeah, yeah. And 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 like and, and like I said, like the 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 rug should be immune to like most forms of damage. Like mm-hmm. it can't catch on fire type of shit because that's something that uh, Ulrus would have done. Because you you wanna you wanna protect your research, like. <laughs> so no, I really like that. Um. Okay, so we have the family heirloom. Uh, what's next? Um. So last up, um, I just want to talk about uh, Elowen and um, Olorose's family ties. Uh, what was like the sequence between them? What caused Olorose to have kids? Who's his wife? How did they have kids leading to Guinevere? Um, I feel like we can't. We don't really need to go too in depth into this because. Um... I mean, at least on the on lost uh, the, 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 at least on the podcast. I feel like off mic yeah. we can sit down in Discord and create a whole fucking family tree. Yeah. So all but... I all I want to do for the scope of the podcast is get some names and then get some vague description of how they met, and that's it. Okay. So for Olorus's wife, I feel like they would have already been together for quite a long time. Okay, I was thinking the opposite. Um, I would say oh. they got together late in life because after his research was coming to a close, then he finally decided to sit down. However, I would be okay with long-term relationship as well. I would even be fine with his wife assisting him in his research. What if his wife was one of his research assistants to start off with? What if his wife Ooh. is a product of his research? This isn't a chimera man. Yeah, it's a little weird because this is this is the disease guy. That's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a, she, she's actually a walking. Uh, she's actually a walking mushroom. She, That's she, a she, good she, plot she's hook, a walking though. Spore, shrigma female. Yeah. That's a good like a chimera mancer creating. Oh, no, no. Let's let's bad. not explore that here. Let's let's do that some other time. Brad, that's a that's a that's a good one shot idea. Yeah, it is. All right, anyway, so do you want to do the, the research assistant idea? Yes. I, I think the research assistant idea is kind of a good one. Uh, do you think she should have been a research assistant before or after they became married and involved with each other? I, I think she started off as a research assistant, and then their relationship developed through their time together researching. Okay. Because I feel like that's a very um, natural way for a relationship to progress, you know? And as far as research assistant goes... um. 
to what extent did she help with the research? Is it to the same thing extent that the other students did? Or is she on the same level of like other wizards of the college and is more of a uh, um, assistant, like assistant assistant? So I would say she's probably more associated with the college. Um, perhaps she's like a grad Have student her own type line thing. Of research. Well, yeah. well, she's like a grad student, and she's been like assigned to help out in the disease unit. Um, you know, with Olros, uh, and then eventually she learns more about that, gets interested in it, begins to work with him. Uh, because of this, their relationship grows. Eventually, they get married, have kids. You know, do that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. No, I like that. Um, one other thing. Just... One other thing. I think we could add about her. I think it might be cool if maybe as she was on her deathbed, Oleros kind of shared some of his secrets with her. Uh, she didn't really have the capability to do anything with it, but I just feel like it might be a cute little flavor thing, you know? Sure. Um, and what's I her like name? That. What's her name? Yeah, I was going to say, the last thing we need to do is slap a name on her. <laughs> um... um... Syllaba. How do you spell that? S I S I L B A. Okay, Silva. sounds good to me. All right. So then, how many kids did they have? At least one. I would say maybe one. I, I want to do a. Uh, okay, I'm gonna tell you one step ahead. I want to do a single daughter, and. I know we were talking a little bit about like the last family name a little bit ago and how females typically like surrender their family name to adopt the male's name. But what if... And she could have said, fuck that. Yeah, she was like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm like an independent researcher kind of following after my mother and father's footsteps. I also want to be like an academic type. Fuck that. I have my own professional life. I want to keep my own last name. So she does. No, I like that. Okay. I like that. And then... What's her um... name? What's her name? What's her name? God, Brad. You're I think it would be it. cute if or <laughs> uh, Oleros named his daughter kind of in the image of Zala Cargon. Um, Zala. Zala? I think that'd be freaking cute, honestly. Because right, then Zala it is. Because he convinced um, Silva that like we should name our daughter uh, you know Zala. I think it'd be cool. And she's like, yeah, that's a cool, unique name. But then later in life, as she's dying or whatever on her deathbed, she's like, like yo. I've been working way, with Zalakarg on the dragon, my dude. And she's like, holy shit, Zala, our daughter. Holy shit. You know. Yeah. Okay, um, Zala. And I would say after Zala, though, would be whenever the family would branch off um, and become less involved with the college. I agree. Yep. Um, maybe just becoming involved in the city as in Steyr itself um, until the point that Guinevere... Uh, meets um, um Gideon. Gideon and uh start to Armberg. All right. So I have two ways I want to handle this next generation. Um either there's going to be this generation and then another after it, uh which is then going to produce Guinevere or uh this relationship is going to have like a like a first stage, uh whether that be a long gap between children or some sort of divorce. Um, and the first group of children is going to be created, and then the second group of children includes Guinevere, um, or it's just a one-stage relationship that has another kid that creates Guinevere. What do you guys think? I like the long-stager one. Because they're, they're elves. Elves live for a fucking long time. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I don't know, Tyler, what's your opinion on it? Um. See, like, elf relationships have a weird dynamic, right? Where, like, where, like, yeah, you live for a long time, but like, that doesn't mean you're gonna be. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's really, like, elf relationships have always really, like, confused me in D&D. It's like, shouldn't, shouldn't technically, like, an elf family have, like, have, have like, a hundred kids by the time they're done, like, you know, like, by the time they're done getting, like, having kids because they live for yeah. so long? So, like, I kind of like the short one more where, where like, like they, 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 they give, like, each kid or just, like, like both kids. Like, if there's only two or, like, three, like, they, they give them each a few hundred years before they have another or like like like, yeah. like, a, like a few decades before they have another, so they can actually spend like time with them. So one husband with a long age gap in between. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So what's her husband's name? Uh, it can be anybody. Let me look at my uh, tax bill. Uh, give me any, uh, anybody. Yep. So she is a researcher. Moral. How... Moral. Moral. <laughs> No, it's not a good elf name. It doesn't matter too much. This doesn't even have to be an important NPC, you know. Yeah. Um, well, if 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 we're staying within Jin Steyr, um, I would say his parents uh, had close Goliath friends growing up. So let's give him a kind of elf Goliath mash mashup just for fun. Okay. Um. Lithgrin. I don't know. That was my input. Lithgrin. <laughs> Lithgrin? Lithgrin. I like that. Lithgrin. Okay, Lithgrin. So then they had, we can say they had two kids, uh, one of them being Guinevere, uh, which is the youngest, and then the other one being one of the first kids that they had. And I feel like the relationship between Guinevere and him should not be that good, and so like he's actually really not that well known within the Arm family. Sure, maybe he's incredibly distant. Uh, you know, long age gap kind of let him go his own way before Guinevere was really a thing. Um, uh, yeah, easy, easy uh, plot uh, hook. Um, don't have to worry about it too much now. Yeah, yeah. So, what's his name? <laughs> Taxol. How do you spell it? I don't know. Okay. Um, I even hear you said Taxol. No, okay, I, I, let's not do T H A X L E. Taxol. Sure. Okay. All right, cool. And then Guinevere, we kind of know what happens to her. Okay. Cool. Okay. So that's all we really have to go into detail for that. Um, I don't, I don't want to talk about that too much right now, but yeah, that, that's all I really have to say about this stuff then, boys. Thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Dudes and Drinks podcast. I'm a little bit wine drunk right now, so this intro outro is going to be a little bit rough for me. Uh, but I think we had a really good discussion today, talking a lot about Zalakargon, some of uh, his relations, the world around him, his condition, uh, and kind of tie in with some of the existing leads that we had, uh, both in Orenburg and Jinsteyr. I think we even created a whole lot more plot hooks that we could expand upon in the future, or... Uh, an excited DM could even expand upon. You know, all this stuff is very flexible and could easily be expanded upon. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. If you do, make sure to check us out on Twitter, 
Discord, follow us on Spotify, other major podcasting platforms. We got a lot of cool stuff, guys. Please check us out. Tell us to your friends. Tell us to your D&D group. Tell us to the people in your D&D group who aren't your friends. Whatever you want to do, my guys. Anyways, my point is, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Brad, you really are one of Dude, I love it. Yeah. Keep it. Dude, you imagine imagine being president and you, you, you literally just plug the entire country. You, you... <laughs>